And I sometimes think part of my um, angst about being in education was that I felt like it was too much like engineering, maybe. It mm-hmm. was that focus on trying to narrow down the questions to try to solve it. And I somehow felt like I wanted to stay with the complexity of the situation and to try to understand it. And part of my entryway into the Multicultural Initiatives Research Team was that way of the team was organized in a way that would actually allow people to bring their complexities into the conversation, which I think it's another way of thinking about the theory. It's- Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about the new book, The Theory of Being, Practices for Transforming Self and Communities Across Difference. I'm joined today by five, four editors and a contributing author uh, who are joining us today. Thanks to each of you for being here today. I'm so excited about this book, this contribution, and to be able to learn from you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is brought to you by Stylus, which also published the book. Visit styluspub.com and use promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for more than 2,000 colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. And you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm recording this from Minneapolis, Minnesota, my home, which is also at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. Thank you all for being here. I'm so appreciative. Let's begin with some introductions, learning a little bit about each of you. And let's begin with you, Dohita. Well, Keith, thanks again for having us and for all the listeners out there who will be listening and or watching this on YouTube. Uh, my name is Duhita Mahatmia, and I'm an Associate Research Scientist in the Grants and Research Services Center in the College of Ed at the University of Iowa. So what that really means is that I get to sit with faculty, staff, and students and dream up projects around education and kind of design them and think about how we're actually going to do it. And that's actually what brought me to Sherry's Multicultural Initiatives team, which I joined about six years ago, where we were thinking about how do you measure defenses? So that was kind of what we were talking about at the time and how it evolved to how do we study this phenomena of being in difficult dialogues? And that is what led us to the book. So that's me, and I'm excited to speak more about our work together um, in this episode. Awesome. Thank you. Charles, tell us a little bit more about you. Hello, everyone. My name is Charles Martin Stanley II. I am the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusivity at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I have been a member of this team since the fall of 2016 when I first started my PhD program at the University of Iowa. And for me, Uh, In my role, I do a lot with uh, strategic planning around DEI, having difficult conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and, you know, really just being able to reflect on those conversations and see how how we grow. And so I look forward to talking with you all uh, more about the, the theory of being. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Gordon, tell us a little bit about you. 
Hi, thanks, Keith. And hey, everyone. My name is Gordon Louie, uh, and I am currently a PhD candidate at the University of Iowa. Um, and I also work full time. I am uh, in a role outside of student affairs. I was in student affairs for about 10 years or so. Um, and I recently, at the start of this year, made a transition. Um, so I'm the DEI program manager at a startup called Textio. And I am calling today from Seattle, Washington, where I live now. Um, and in my role, I help uh, examine our DEI strategy for the company, and I create programs that build awareness, knowledge, and skills for my fellow colleagues. So great to awesome. have Great to join y'all. Thank you. And Milad, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about you. Thank you. Uh, and hi to all the listeners. Uh, I'm Milad Mohib Ali. I'm a postdoctoral scholar at the College of Education at the University of Iowa. I primarily um, do research with the Multicultural Initiatives Research Team, uh, which is led by Dr. Watt, and I have been uh, part of a member of for at least five years now from start of my PhD program. And uh, I also work primarily with the Anti-Racism Collaborative at the College of Education, which is based on some of the principles of the fear of being. And uh, I did a lot of work around how evaluate the process-oriented approach to DEI and uh, how to institutionalize that at the College of Education. Mm -hmm. And Sherry Watt, this is all your fault if folks have uh, <laughs> implicated you. So tell us about you and sort of your role in all of this. Yeah, well, first, thanks so much, Keith, for having us. And I'm just delighted always to be in community and in team conversation with mm -hmm. folks that I've thought with over years and time. So I'm really glad to be here today and delighted for the conversation. And I am Sherry Watt. I'm a professor at the University of Iowa in the Higher Education and Student Affairs Program. I have been with the university since 2000, um, and um, which I still get shocked over every time mm -hmm. I say that. And um, also, I would say most of the teams and the research that informs the theory of being arises out of some early research on um, how to be in difficult dialogues with folks in ways that are productive and starting with the privileged identity exploration model. But mm -hmm. this work builds on that. So really excited to be here and to think more with these folks and mm -hmm. with the audience on this idea. Well, great. It was uh, wonderful to read the book for, for folks who are, are interested. I, I would really encourage it because it's um, really relevant. I mean, it uses examples from faculty life and from student affairs practice and from communication dialogues across difference, but also navigating conversations with family members and nieces and, and so much more. So uh, sure, this theory emerged from some of your research and practice and thinking and your own being. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the why, the purpose of this, and the what. What is the theory of being? Yeah, so that's kind of, uh, um, uh, I think, a great question and kind of sometimes even hard for us to describe. Mm -hmm. But um, I'd say the origins of this really began with my experience in the classroom and my experience as a faculty of color, as a Black woman working in education and um, in the different ways that, and especially someone who was studying how to be in difficult dialogues with others about particularly racism, which was mm -hmm. primary in my existence and experience. Um, not that it didn't include other intersectional identities, but racism. And 
how to have that conversation um, in ways that you know was, was going to be productive. So also I think partnering with that is how did I, how can I survive this academic mm. setting and this academic environment in a way that keeps me whole and still human? And um, so this theory comes out of that. It um, comes from a intersection of those conversations that we've had over the years and also my experience with the Center for Courage and Renewal. And Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, yeah, so the Center for Courage and Renewal is a nonprofit organization that began with Parker Palmer, Marcy Jackson, Rick Jackson, and others, Terry Chatsy, others that have been really active in developing, but based on Parker Palmer's work um, the, on the courage to teach, um, but also a hidden wholeness, other works, but essentially mm -hmm. a way of going about how to be um, in conversation. What drew me to the work originally was the tagline that said, um, bringing who you are to what you do. So for some reason, I felt very disconnected from who I was and how mm -hmm. I was showing up in academia and craved some space that helped me to resolve those um, pieces of myself. And mm -hmm. part of the reason I feel like that was so important to me is, you know, background history, just growing up as an army kid. Um, every time mm -hmm. I moved to a different place, I needed to evolve into a different person, but I didn't want to lose the thread of who I was. So mm -hmm. it was constantly for me and, you know, studying racial identity or studying privilege. All of those have been about how do you bring together yourselves so that you are not crazy? You know, how do you enter mm -hmm. yourself in a way that grounds you into who you are and you don't lose touch with that? So mm -hmm. what evolved over time is us trying to think about, well, we, we started with content, you know, really thinking that if we teach, if we identify um, privileged identity um, reactions, then those, we can talk to people about that. And then it, it, over time sort of realized that, you know, that being able to label or diagnose wasn't really productive for how to have a conversation. And we, we started to ask ourselves questions that were about process. So the theory of being is a process-oriented approach. It teaches, which is informed by the frameworks, touchstones, and other things that um, were inspired from the Center for Courage and Renewal um, and the work around that, um, which, was, which really is about how to be with yourself and others in community in a way that you are not losing yourself, I guess is probably... You know, how do you stay in touch with yourself and still be in community with others and traverse difference? The, the difference in what we do as opposed to the Center for Courage and Renewal, the Center for Courage and Renewal is really focused on how do you have that as a personal journey? Mm -hmm. Our work was it needed to, for our sake, extend to how do you do that in community with others? Not sure. being not being, you know, alone together, but how are you actually together with people and getting things done in a productive way that guides you towards um, some kind of more inclusive space. Right. So uh, you're using the word productive in these conversations. I also think about um, being effective. And I think there's some, some things about that maybe we'll get to a little bit later about how people show up to, to be right. Yeah. Right. Which I'm really good at. <laughs> um, but how do people show up uh, to be productive or to be effective in these conversations, holding their their sense of self 
Mm -hmm. but also being willing to be changed by the people they're in community with. And there's a lot of both and, and there's a lot of both and throughout the the whole book. Um, And you're pulling from, you mentioned Parker Palmer, but also Mm -hmm. you really give a lot of credit to Paulo Freire, to Bell Hooks, Mm -hmm. uh, and to others. Um, And you mentioned the privilege identity exploration, which is really about the defensive, the different kinds of defensiveness that shows up. And you yeah. talk at the very beginning about, um, and I think you just alluded to it, but could you expand a little bit about going from sort of naming and seeing these defenses as seeing them as necessary for the process? Mm, yeah. So we we have found that the privileged identity exploration is an entry point for folks that feels like manageable, like if I'm going to have a different, difficult conversation and I can recognize that I have defensive reactions right. to, you know, being exposed to something that I disagree with and or am just learning about. And if I can recognize that others, which is where the theory of being extends, mm-hmm. you know, it's not only can, do I need to be aware of what comes up for me, but how can I be in community or in relationship with other people that I also recognize that they are experiencing a defensive reaction. And how can I be in a, um, how can I build, or or the the recognition of that helps to build empathy. So you're, you, you have some empathy for others because you have had that kind of spinning also. So the way we think about it in the context of the theory now is, how can I be with myself? How can I be with others? And how can I be in community? You know, when I'm feeling disoriented, you know, when I am losing my way, I am angry or frustrated, or, you know, how do I manage that so that I can still have the stamina Mm -hmm. to stay in the conversation, even when it gets difficult. And that's the how part is where we feel like we, we needed to situate the work. How do we, how do we move from, um, just trying to focus on the outcome and how do we have a process that allows us to reach a inclusive outcome? Mm-hmm. So what is the how? How do we actually, most people paused and were kind of like, well, how do we actually have that? You want me to take this risk, but how do I do that? And that's yeah. where we think the theory sits. It's yeah. saying, here are some practices that help you to be in those conversations and build that stamina. Well, and I hear this from folks all the time. I really want to do this. I really want to be able to do this. Just tell me what to do, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Give me the give me the recipe. Um, so, so give us a little bit of the structure of the theory of building. It's kind of the fundamentals, and then we'll turn it to Milad to clarify and complicate as as yeah. we go. Yeah, sure. So, the theory um, has three tiers essentially, and and we had a recently one of our team members, um, Mavis um, Jesse, talked shared with a partner that we were working with um, applying the theory, the framework in a way that I thought was really helpful. She she talked about, or we talk about personal, relational, and community level. Mm-hmm. And she added the kind of nuance or explanation of it, that it's personal self-work, relational self-work, and community self-work. And we've mm-hmm. been calling them practices essentially, Mm -hmm. but the focus on self-work we think is really important. This centers on your exploration while you are with yourself, with others, and Mm -hmm. also within a community. And so these practices are are directly in those different layers. And we believe that 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 way of being with yourself in community with others 
aligning what you think, feel, and do are, are part of practices that we have to strengthen in order for mm -hmm. us to sit in the really difficult conversations. Yeah, great. That's the layers of the theory. That's the layers. Well, uh, Sherry referred to you as the theoretical wizard or something like that. I don't know what, Milad, but go ahead. What would you add here? I know you've been listening intently. And what would you add to this and, and strengthen for our, our folks who are listening and trying to understand this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll start with some of the personal take on it into entering the theory. And that's how um, we decided we are organizing the book, the chapters are written with a personal, or we asked every chapter offer to actually ground it in a personal story, which I remember my first draft actually changed so much once I started to enter in through my own story because it was really differently situating towards that. Um, my background is in engineering and I came to the United States, I'm from Iran, and I started studying education and I sometimes think part of my um, angst about being in education was that I felt like it was too much like engineering maybe. It mm -hmm. was that focus on trying to narrow down the questions to try to solve it and I somehow felt like I wanted to save it the complexity of the situation and to try to understand it. And part of my entryway into the multicultural initiatives research team was that way of the team was organized in a way that would actually allow people to bring their complexities into the conversation, which I think it's another way of thinking about the theory. It's a way of containing the complexity of people, complexity of thinking together, and for me, complexity of thinking about fixing a system from within a system when the fix is always situated in the system and is always affected by it. It's a way of, for us to hold us always accountable to the fact that racism is going to, you know, somehow slip back in. There is no way that I can study it enough that I can actually not be reproducing racism anymore. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was, you know, the theory really allowed that kind of, you know, helped us have that container of let's try to think of a way that we can enter into dialogue so that it is a process-oriented approach mm -hmm. that we can actually be together in a healthy way and I know there is some ableist language around that but it's a good metaphor to think and I was saying it this morning actually in another conversation how can we think of it not as a disease that we want to remove but how can we think of education for creating health how can we create mm -hmm. a different type of relationships that we don't have to be oppositional, that we don't have to reproduce the same patriarchal system. It named Bell Hooks and the book is dedicated to Bell Hooks and we mm -hmm. all really love the way she thinks, the way she writes. And, you know, um, and I know that if you mentioned the um, being right and willing to be right or wanting to be right, specifically when we talk about, you know, racism and anti-racism, and I remember one of the things that I read the first time I was reading Bell Hooks and it was in All About Love and she was saying how growing up she felt so complicated and like people asking her to say the, you know, the truth. Mm -hmm. But then she said the truth, she would get disciplined for that. Mm -hmm. And I had so much of like, oh gosh, I totally can, you know, um, relate to that in the ways of how society is organized, how education is organized. And then think of, how can we bring our imperfect selves, knowing that it is imperfect, we are shaped in these systems, mm -hmm. still be in a dialogue intentionally around some of these issues are that complex. 
and be able to hold each other's complexity in the conversation and not further dehumanize each other. Yeah. Uh, so that's another way of, for me, thinking about the theory to hold its complexity, but at mm -hmm. the same time thinking that the theory is really a set of you know, practices and skills. It gives us a way of doing things, but in no way it is prescriptive. People need to personalize it. People need to learn the skills and practice it and think, how can they apply it to their work? Mm -hmm. uh, but in no way, you know, we think of theory as a way of like, here is A, B, and C that you do and things get done. It's more of tool A, tool B, and tool C. And you need to think of how you can use them in your own setting in the ways that yeah. align with who you are mm -hmm. to actually be in humanizing conversations. Yeah, I really love you bringing that in because I think, you know, I flippantly use the, the recipe. Um, this is not really a cookbook that gives you the recipe. This is more like, here's some cooking principles and now you could make whatever you want, right? And be able to apply this in so many different different settings. And you're pointing me to um, what I think about is we need this anti-oppression analysis, this critical lens to see the racism, to see the ableism what's going on, but that's not the end goal. <laughs> the goal is then what are we going to create? What does liberation look like? What is communities yeah. of change? And I think a lot of people are really resonating with wanting to both and that part, mm -hmm. looking to things like restorative practices to not just respond to injustice, but like how do we create communities that are more equitable? And this is another really great way of thinking through that. Before we're going to have Charles and Dahita and Gordon come in here in a little bit about the how, but before we jump to that, do the three of you want to add anything to the why or the what? They're, they're all looking up at the same. <laughs> I was going to say, I think for me, if there's a through line to what Sherry is saying and what Malad was describing, and one of the, I think, assumptions of the theory is that on the surface, it seems like you know, easy, like, oh, just do the self-work and it's reflection. But as we have learned in both writing the theory, researching it and practicing it is that it is very countercultural. And that's a word that we speak about in the book and how we situate this in that going back to what Sherry was saying of feeling disconnected in academia, I think that is what we are trying to address in movement towards liberation, Keith, as you were mentioning. And, um, but just that word countercultural, I wanted to introduce or kind of bring into this space because that's something that we talk about in the what and the why of the theory. Yeah. yeah. Can I just add too that that's, I think that's, you know, informed by the Center for Courage and Renewal's practices. Um, the touchstone, some of the things that is part of what um, informed by them. The other layer I would add to what Dahita is saying is that, or that I think I hear in all of what we're saying so far, is that we are in a cultural, um, we're in a society that the cultural name or that practice is doing. Let's focus mm -hmm. on doing, fixing, saving, advising, and this work is about being, not that in the exclusion of doing, but it is about the being as a thing of itself that will inform then and hopefully more thoughtfully inform your doing. So there, there is a, it's in the, the idea that it's being is really important and we don't often know how to be. We mostly know because of the way we're socialized in this society is to do. Yeah. Um, and that usually means stumbling over people and losing 
nuance and right to meet the deadline to get the task done to complete yes. the project to finish the thing mm -hmm. the I, I work with a lot of my coaching clients and you know if you want to do make a list make a task you're right that's great mm -hmm. but if you want to be that's now in the realm of metaphor mm. who do you want to be like mm -hmm. um and i'm curious it seems like we're pointing toward a little bit of spiritual practice here mm -hmm. and informed by that not not religious, but really the you're talking about inner work, relational inner work, community community inner work. It really feels like this is calling us to deepen our reflection, deepen our insight in many ways. And I think, I think that spiritual piece, um, I just want to give a, a shout out to um, Nayang Zhang, who's one of our um, MCI team members, who that was what her dissertation research and what her research is, is looking at uh, the theory of being and spirituality. So I just wanted to mm -hmm. acknowledge her presence in this space or mm -hmm. that that's what came to me when when you spoke about that, Keith. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was going to go off of Sherry's earlier point there of, I think, for me, what this does is it's kind of an interrupter um, because, again, you know, acknowledging that both being and doing are important, that it's like you have to do, you know, you can't not do that. <laughs> but with that acknowledgement, what this theory adds is when you're in that mode and knowing that the culture is such that it promotes that particular side, every time we've talked about being, you know, with groups, it's always been like, yes, everyone acknowledges this, this is necessary. This is a positive part of what we ought to be but it's always kind of been nice to have you know and the necessary parts of it have always been on the the doing side so knowing that i think what the theory adds is when you're in that mode you're accumulating a lot of assumptions because to do the things you have to simplify um you have to kind of mix things. yes you have to essentialize your tasks how you go about doing it and, and i think people. what it does is mm -hmm. is it helps reveal some of these assumptions mm -hmm. that then can invite further discussion based on that. Um, yeah. Great. Well, the book is full of so many examples of how the theory of being can be put into practice, as I mentioned, from family conversations to conflicts with students and other faculty members who would imagine. Uh, we'd love to turn to some of you to talk a little bit about the how, right? We talked about the why and the what, now a little bit about the how we can put this into use. Charles, you mentioned doing DEI and strategic planning, sort of these many conversations. How, how are you putting to use the theory of being in your work? Yeah, so I serve as the director of diversity, equity, and inclusivity at my institution, and I see it as focusing on three particular areas. So one, uh, having a DEI strategic action plan that goes hand in hand with our strategic plan. I do DEI programming from trainings for faculty, staff, administrators, our students, our, our student leaders. And then lastly, serving uh, as a support system for our historically underrepresented uh, student organizations on campus. And so finding unique ways to be able to have conversations around, you know, whether it be difficult dialogues or um, engaging in just conversations of, of, of difference is, is what I do 24 seven, uh, 365. And so when um, I think about how I come to this work, it, it really started when, when I started on this team and in the fall of 2016, and, and we would have conversations um, around, you know, for me, it was responsibility and accountability. I, I just started my PhD program. 
um, learning a lot about systems of oppression, mm -hmm. learning, like reading, you know, teaching to transgress, Paulo Freire, reading, reading all these different things that changed, you know, my way of thinking uh, in, in positive ways. But then also I would, I would always come back to the, the research team meetings and say, well, whose responsibility is it to do this work or who are we holding accountable? Mm -hmm. And in that space, something that I learned, which, which is really important, and I continue to use it in my own teaching pedagogy, is, you know, instead of thinking about it as a, a us versus them, thinking about it as a we versus it, which is something we talk about mm -hmm. in it being that system of oppression. And so that's I've what you call third thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So being able to to find something um to focus on and having a conversation on that rather than, you know fighting among, you know, and we, we talk about that word as well, but, you know, being in this conversation uh, intently with one another. And so um, in my particular chapter, I, I kind of pushed on that a little bit. So whose responsibility is it? Who, how are we, you know, holding people accountable? And so I focus on silence. Uh, and I use Desmond Tutu's quote, you know, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor and, and what that means. And, and I was challenged by, by Dr. Y and others on the team where, you know, what if someone's not being silent, but they're not saying what you want them to say or what you agree with. And so finding, you know, ways of, you know, having those conversations in, in difficult ways and being able to, you know, see each other's humanity in those conversations, um, mm. whether you agree with them or not. And so that's something that I've had the opportunity. Again, because that's effective. Yeah. <laughs> right. If we want to create the change we want, that's necessary to not dehumanize people we yeah. disagree with to create the change and, and yeah. make them open. Absolutely. And so I... I'm in a unique role where I'm an administrator on campus, but I also get to teach. And so mm -hmm. I've been able to find different ways for the theory of being to, to, to use that. And in an administrative role, I had mentioned, you know, with my DEI programming, a lot of times, you know, I talk about, you know, what is diversity? What is equity? What is inclusivity? How do they come together? How do they differ? Um, and something that I've been asked to do is talk a little bit more about how I come to this work. What is my own positionality as a African-American man in this role look like? And so being able to share my own unique experiences, uh, I, I found has been helpful because a lot of times, you know, if you, you know, read an article or a book, it, it, it's, it's important, it's influential, but it it's means something different if it, the facilitator is sharing, you know, a piece of them with you. And so I think that also, you know, helps me with theory of being, because as we talk about, you know, how do you come to this work? How do you personally, my, my chapter focuses on that, you know, that, that personal um, aspect. And so how do you personally come into this uh, is very important. I think it helps specifically from a, a training or a facilitating perspective to be able to reflect on how how you uh, come to this as well. Um, and then teaching, I, I love teaching. And, and from a teaching perspective, I think that in having those conversations around difference, it's important to be able to, to see uh, various perspectives. And so I, I recently uh, attended a diversity symposium where there was a conversation around, you know, if you're looking from one side of the number, you see a six. Whereas if you're looking from the other side of the number, you see a nine and someone's like, well, that's a six. And the other person's like, well, no, that's a nine. And are you able to come to the other side to see their perspective, whether you agree with it or not, are you able to at least see their perspective and have a conversation, you know, and I think that's also stems from that 
you know, us versus them versus that we versus it, being able to have those conversations. Um, and, and I think that the theory of being helps you to be able to do that in a variety of ways, whether it's third thinking, you know, humanizing others or, you know, you know, focusing on you in that work. I think those are all, you know, uh, key ways to do that. Uh, we, we've talked about in our research team meetings, you know, having a toolbox and, and you know, having that, you know, that toolbox to be able to pull out these different skills to be able to, to have those conversations in, in a variety of ways. But, you know, that, that's kind of how, how I've seen it work, both from an administrative position as well as, you know, in, in teaching. But I, I just think that, you know, it's not something that you, you know, do one time and then, you know, you stop. This is a, a lifelong process and yeah. a lifelong skills that you can use, whether it be in higher ed, in conversations with family members, in conversations with friends, um, but still, you know, crucial in, in having those conversations, which is the the only way, in my opinion, to move forward. Yeah. I love your mentioning the, the us versus them moving to we. Um, being able to see people's perspective you disagree with, humanizing. Uh, I was just scrolling through the news today, and it does seem quite counterculture to do those things. It seems quite <laughs> quite radical, as Dahida mentioned. Dahida, yeah. how do you put this into mm -hmm. practice? Yeah, and I'm drawing from a lot kind of how you were introducing um, your aspect to it of, you know, what's the story? And I think Charles, you were talking about this too. What's the story that brought me into this? And I came into this as like a quant researcher knowing the stats. And so six years ago when um, the team was developing this instrument for the privilege identity exploration model, I was brought in to do, to do the things, to do the EFA, CFA, run the stats and all of that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was like in that doing, we realized when we were implementing that there was something more. So as Sherry mentioned, that that laid a framework for where we were with the theory of being. And the perspective that I think I've been able to offer or what brings me into the work is thinking about how do we then challenge the way we do research in academia to really invite a space to do process-oriented research. That that is more than just, you know, knowing the methodology, but how, how are we together? as a team? How are we in relationship with the communities that we're studying? How is it then how, in the way that we write a research question that's aligning with the theory? Um, you know, do we actually take the time to think about that in the midst of, you know, needing to publish and meeting certain criteria. You know, I'm coming off of, I was a former faculty member and jumped off that ship um, <laughs> into the, to the work that I do now. Um, Interestingly enough, because of reading Hidden Wholeness when I was on the tenure track and realizing I didn't want to be disconnected anymore. And it was in this team, in doing research in this team, that gave me the language of why I was feeling that tension in myself as a researcher and somebody in academia, um, as well as, you know, how do we facilitate conversations with folks who might come from you know, different trainings and different disciplines and have an idea of what research is or what valuable research is, what good research is. Um, and especially then when we think about, um, you know, oh, well, let's look at comparisons between groups. You know, is that really in service of the idea and in service of um, addressing oppression and um, systemic inequities, right? Mm -hmm. Is that really what we're wanting to do? Or is that because this system tells us that that's what we do to publish, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I came into this work yeah, 
interesting enough, kind of as the traditional quant researcher and in being with the team has transformed the way um, that I work and that I do research, um, or perhaps it just revealed more of who I was, the humanity that I wanted to be in mm. the work. Um, and so that's what brought me to the work, what keeps me in the work. Um, and it I sounds think like it changed your way of being. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, or maybe it's like, maybe that, that way of being was always there, but was hidden um, in a way that then being in community with this team and having the type of conversations we have around difficult things, um, you know, like racism and oppression and exploitation um, and all the different things that we've all experienced in different ways within the academy um, that that gave us the opportunity, or at least I can speak for it, gave me the opportunity to just kind of speak what it is that we're experiencing in this in hopes of transforming um, the systems that we're in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what yeah. brought me, brought me in what, and and I think from where I, where I probably practice the theory of being um, just given the role and the position that I'm in, in the college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this. And I love that you're talking about wholeness, which which I'm tying more and more closely to healing, right? Mm -hmm. Healing, bringing us closer to wholeness um, and then tying it to, you know, Sherry talking about being a faculty member <laughs> and then realizing I'm a person too and how do I yes. bring all of this together? <laughs> yes. And uh, a lot talking about bringing our full complexity. There's, there's a lot of, um, again, the healing, the wholeness and, and that kind of connection. Um, Gordon, you're, as you mentioned, you're a higher ed person and you stepped out rather recently. And as you're, as you're finishing this project and the book coming out, you're, you're in the tech industry, you're outside of higher ed, you wrote the epilogue, um, bring us home. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Keith. Uh, and yeah, I, I always <laughs> start with that piece too, that I contributed by far like the shortest chunk of the book and I'm like on all of the the things that are kind of associated with it yeah. um but it people always been... read the epilogue <laughs> they always read the epilogue I hope so it is the shortest part so it's like you're looking for something it's like that's the, that's the abstract essentially yeah. at the end so um but yeah I think uh it's been an interesting journey and like everyone you know I come from it a little bit differently too because I come my background's in the humanities so I came into student affairs this is the first uh higher ed like degree I'll get is the the terminal degree um but I I came from the humanities and so it was a different way of looking at things so you know I think there's a deeper understanding of how rooted these structural systems are mm -hmm. in our society um, and that was kind of like the focus of a lot of the work that I'd done before. Um, and the thing that really appealed to me uh, when I came to higher ed was the applied part of it, because as you might know, you know, in the humanities and in other social sciences, a lot of it is in that theoretical mm -hmm. frame. Um, and part of what I like about the theory, but also I think just higher ed in general, is that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop mm -hmm. at this part. And there is a wide applicability to it. And in the time that I've been in the program and the time that I've been in the team, one of the questions that I've always had is how applicable is this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's always been something at the back of my mind, even as we were talking about Pi, as we were talking about and working with organizations and doing workshops and doing, you know, all these partnerships with different nonprofits and other in, uh, educational institutions. Um, and one of the classes that I got to take with Sherry too, you know, one of the driving questions is, I think when we think about DEI work, there's always like 
a past and a future, you know, like there's like where we want to get to. And there's like that sense of immediacy, but there's something that's kind of missing in the process Mm -hmm. that was never addressed that it's like, yes, we want to have equitable outcomes. And also the recognition again of that balance between yes, we want to be, but we also have to do, you don't Mm -hmm. completely shut down the doing in favor of that. That's not how this is going to work. And you're not going to win anyone over trying to do that either. Um, And so that's really kind of been the driving curiosity behind how I approach uh, the work. And so when the opportunity came to think about, oh, you know, having been on this team for so long and having had these foundations, I really wanted to see how it would work outside. Um, And honestly, it hasn't been that different. That's one of the... the, Mm things that I've learned the most. Um, and, you know, I follow a lot of people on uh, Altac Twitter. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. people out there mm-hmm. also do too. There's more and more people, I think, every day kind mm-hmm. of tweeting about this kind of stuff. But the culture is such that I think when you're inside um, and when you're on the inside, uh, there's a sense, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't know if exceptionalism is the right word, but we think of ourselves like we're, we're in education, we're in higher ed, like we're kind of exempt from something that's on the outside. Mm. And it's the same concerns, you know, what mm-hmm. we've talked about, even in through the course of this conversation, how is productivity, you know, kind of defined? Mm-hmm. The, we know these questions happen within the walls of academia, too, mm-hmm. in the same way that we're trying to wrestle with what that means on the outside. You know, I just had a conversation um, with our inclusion council uh, just yesterday about this. It's uh, thinking about how we value uh, time, how we value connectedness. Mm-hmm. How do we come to our sense of shared purpose? How are we able to express gratitude and joy given that productivity is what drives the metrics? You know, mm-hmm. These are the same questions you know, that we talk about right. inside. These are the same th- questions that we talk about on the team and we've wrestled with kind of before. Um, and what I really enjoy about the theory and how I've applied it is I want to make this an invitational process because I think um, how DEI work, like I said, has been conceptualized is there's like a binary it, to, to some degree that there's right. an acknowledgement of ambiguity, but in practice um, and tying research to practice, there's something mm. that's lost that tries to make it as simplistic and essentialist as possible. Yeah, um, a very be- binary way, right? You yes. get it or don't, you're woke, mm-hmm. you're not, you're yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And and if someone doesn't get it, like, you know, Charles has attested to it, a lot has attested to it. If someone doesn't say what you want to say, then then what? You know, like, what are we going to do kind of in that place? And there's less in that space than there is on, yes, here's the outcome that we want to reach, I think, kind of in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece that the work really does for me, and this is not just in my professional life, this is for sure in my personal life also, is it makes me think about how we structure expertise. And this is also a conversation mm-hmm. that we have. Um, I've had it in classes. I've had it with other grad students. I've had it with other professionals in student affairs. Um, but I think the way that we've thought about expertise and how we think about expertise um, is troublesome. Um, and I, I don't know, and I know you've even attested to this in this conversation, mm-hmm. Keith, of like, we're, sh- we're showing up to be right. You know, like there's yeah. a sense of expertise that excludes humility that is like what does that humility piece kind of look like um and the work really prompts you to think deeply about Mm -hmm. that um and that's something i think about all the time you know we base we all base our decisions and we all base our stuff our our thoughts on something and what that something is the questions in the theory are really designed to kind of flush those out um and to be able to have fuller conversations around that i wrote down one quote from the whole book 
And it's from the chapter on resistance from Steve Malvaso and Kira Pasquesky. Mm -hmm. Pasquesky, yep. Thank you, thank you. Here's the quote. <laughs> quote, performative wokeness is the act of projecting a heightened sense of social consciousness, not for the purpose of educating somebody, but for the purpose of gaining a personally elevated status. Mm -hmm. Right, that's what, you were just, you were, that's what you were just speaking to about being right, being the expert, knowing the answer. And, um, you know, one of the lines I've been fond of saying lately is that, um, you know, social justice work is not sorting. Yeah. It's about change, right? Yeah. And you're talking about, is this about mm. deciding who gets it or who not? Or are we talking about being effective, letting go of rightness? So, well, we are running out of time, believe it or not. I feel like we just got started. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful book. I really encourage folks to do that. But this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. So we'd just love to hear from each of you real quick. What is it that right now you're thinking, mm -hmm. troubling, or pondering? It can be something we've discussed or something happening in the world. And if you want to share where folks can uh, connect with you, go ahead and share that. And we'll start with you, Charles. What are you troubling now? All right. Well, thank you. So I've just been thinking about, we were talking a little bit more about metaphors and symbolism. And for me, mm. you know, we live in a society where we're always, you had said, focused on you know, the destination, the angle, what are the, you know, what are the, what are the action items? How are we going to do it? But for me personally, the theory of being is about not necessarily the destination, but the journey and, mm -hmm. and that process. And, and also something I've been thinking about and pondering is what happens if you mess up? What happens if you don't get it right? And something that I talk about in my DEI trainings specifically around allyship is there's no perfect way to do it. I think it's, that's the same with the theory of being, you're not going to, you know, wake up one day and say, I get it. Like I've, I've accomplished or mastered the, the theory of being, but it is something that you can continue to work on and continue to come back to these conversations and, and use these skills and, you know, in order to have, you know, the difficult dialogues or you can use it. I use it in my, you know, practice when I'm, you know, forming, you know, initiatives for our mm -hmm. students to make sure that every student feels welcome, respected, and included on campus. And so that's a little bit about what, kind of what I've been, what I've been thinking about. If anyone has any questions for me or, you know, wants to reach out, you can uh, reach me on LinkedIn at Charles Martin Stanley, um, and I'd be happy to, to connect. Yeah. You're reminding me of Brene Brown talking about moving from being right to getting it right. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that constant learner focused. Milan, what are you uh, troubling mm -hmm. now? Gosh, there's so many, but uh, <laughs> but I think one topic that uh, shows up in the chapter that I wrote, and I think it emerged as I was writing it and I was leaning into my own personal narrative, and it's also becoming more and more present for me as I'm thinking of teaching a course on diversity and inclusion next semester, is that question of uh, protecting people from harm, which I'm totally sympathetic to, but also I can't always escape it in the ways that it positions me or whoever it is that we expect people to save them from mm -hmm. saviorism, from from reducing people, essentializing their identities because then we have to assume we know how to protect them, or even if we can't even protect people from harm, as if you know that's like if I, mm -hmm. I do something in the classroom that's mm -hmm. like protects people, then they are somehow saved from racism, which is not the case, knowing that people go into the city or outside or different places in a school and the system continues. So it's kind of like for me, the stickiness of, you know, how to create a space that's both uh, doesn't reproduce harm, but also doesn't 
push people not to be vulnerable or not to be in a conversation that can be offended. And I think there is grayness in it in all the ways mm-hmm. that there are tensions that are for me productive and I'm continuing to think about, you know, what does harm mean or what does it mean in a conversation that invites and asks people to be more vulnerable and be more authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does that mean specifically around conversations around race and racism uh, when it's done with, you know, cross-racially? So that's that's one of the more stickier parts that I think of and continue to think about. And um, as far as reaching out, I would love uh, to hear what folks think when they hear the conversations. I would love to be in contact and uh, my email would be the best way to reach out to me. I'm also currently at least continuing to be active on Twitter. <laughs> um, and my handle is Milupa, that's M-I-L-O-O-P-A. All right. Thank you. Well, Gordon, we we deemed you the cleanup expert. We're going to have you go next, just to get you so uh, off your <laughs> off your final. Uh, what are you troubling now? Yeah, something that I'm thinking a lot about, and it does also really connect to the work, is how do we make our interactions less transactional? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this in the context of my role. This is something that, again, you know, shout out to my counsel at work that I work very mm-hmm. uh, closely with. I love them, and. Um, they brought up that idea. It's like, we, uh, I should also give context that the company that I work for is fully remote. We're distributed mm-hmm. across nine U.S. states and all U.S. time zones, mm-hmm. essentially. So um, it's hard when everything's digital um, and it really speaks and it pushes the boundaries, I think, of this work to conceptualize in that way. Because at first, that's not you know how this work was conceptualized, is how do we keep these practices and the spirit of these practices to be able to implement them in a way across a distributed environment, you know. Yeah, how do you do a circle process on Zoom? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> that that kind of stuff. And the other thing is just like, I think general community building, you know, one of the, one of the ways that I use the book, even though it's only been out for a short time, uh, is to really, I know I can't have access to the team all the time, mm-hmm. But one of the things I love the most about the team is that it's invitation, the invitation to join is always there. Um, and I use it to connect that. It's like, if I have to think more deeply about a problem regarding resistance or empathy, I can actually turn to a chapter in the book and I can you know, at least temporarily connect to another member of the team that's actually kind of written about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for folks, you know, I think other folks can use it in the same way, but thinking more broadly about how do we build those communities of support? I think for folks that are looking to do it, they're, they're hungry for this, um, but they need that support to help them get there, especially in the face of things like resistance. Yeah, well, you're reminding me earlier, you talked about what, what you heard people yearning for. They're doing, but they're when you bring in bring, being, they're yearning for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, awesome. Duhita, what are you troubling, mm-hmm. thinking about pondering yeah. now? It makes me want to third thing, the idea of power. Like what is our relationship to power? What have our experiences been um, on both sides as someone who has been in a position of power um, or someone that has, you know, is in relationship with someone in a position of power and how that influences, you know, things like Gordon, what you mentioned, how we view things perhaps as transactional or Malad is what what you were talking about with harm. Um, and I think for me, a lot of it is around labor um, in academia. And I think that's something where 
if I think about the College of Ed and the Anti-Racism Collaborative, there have been conversations around, you know, how do we create groups where folks can be in conversation when you know in academia there are these structures and hierarchies that give people, whether formally or informally, power to enact things or um, to just be a certain way. So that's kind of what it makes me think about is in the situations that I find myself where I'm noticing either attention or power struggles, you know, how can I return to the theory of being? And I love the way you phrase it, Gordon, be in conversation with some of the team members, even if they're not around mm-hmm. me to think through, mm-hmm. to think through that. So that's kind of where I am. And I think there's a macro level implications for that too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, Sherry, you brought this crew together. I'm jealous that they get to be in conversation. It sounds enriching and rewarding uh, in so many ways. And you're evoking so much thought and reflection in different ways of being. What would you like to close us out with what you're thinking, troubling, or pondering now? Mm. Well, yeah, just gratitude for this um, group of people here and all over the years that have been in community and in conversation. And I I mean, we share credit for that because it wouldn't have evolved in the way that it has unless these people were in conversation at very Mm. particular times. So I have lots of gratitude for that. And I was thinking about um, what you said about, you know, this is a spiritual or soulful um, Mm. theory and, you know, and the hierarchies of education that Dahita um, spoke about. And I think that when people hear what, you know, my background is in counseling, you know, my training, they think, well, this theory is about counseling or this theory is about, you know, spirituality and therefore I'm going to reject it. Mm-hmm. And part of me, my, what troubles me is how did your humanity get wrapped up in, you know, some idea of what it means to be human, that you would reject it because it says it's it's about counseling, or you you have you have categorized it as about counseling, or you've categorized mm-hmm. it. You know, I think that gives us an excuse to dehumanize people when we're in academia. We stick to these hierarchies, and we then it it allows me I can play the game of sliding someone here or sliding someone there because they don't fit in the hierarchy. And I don't need to involve my feelings. My head is big enough. My brains are big enough. My intellect's big enough. So I don't even need to deal with um, anything that has to do with my feeling or anything that has to do with how I translate that. So part of what I feel like we get a lot of resistance about when we talk about this idea of being as people resist the fact that you said that you came to higher education to transform either higher education or the society. Well, get to work. Mm -hmm. Get to work and do that work. Don't point at it. Don't talk about it. Don't perform it. Get at it and do that work. And I think this theory invites that. You know, and if you don't want to do it and you think the name of higher education is to point at it and you think that that is what it does and you want to continue to perpetuate that dehumanizing way of being, then I think that I I can see why, because that's the nature of the beast. But I think 
I thought I was signing up to be in higher education to transform the system, to make it more inclusive. And I want to get to work to do that. Mm -hmm. So I know I sound less invitational and more confrontive right now. (laughs) You sound proud (laughs) and you sound grateful and you sound like you have a sense of urgency and you're not in it for the Twitter likes. No, matter of fact, I will not be sharing my Twitter handle. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so that's where it troubles me. And that's where I'm mm-hmm. I'm like, and I'm willing to get down dirty with you in this mm-hmm. fight. So let's do that. You yeah. know, let's get to get to that messiness. Um, but if you don't want to, that's okay. But just don't, I don't like the hypocrisy of acting like you care about it. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't think this work is the only avenue for that. I think that anybody can find that avenue, but that's the sentiment that troubles me. Um, and I think that if you want to do it, then get to doing it. So, and that might involve a, a combination of thinking, feeling, and acting mm-hmm. and that alignment, which is what this work tries to invite. Well, and I think it involves vulnerability and authenticity, and those things are scary, and criticizing and critiquing are safer, right? Mm-hmm. And then particularly yeah. in a neck up kind of way. Yeah. Well, and I'm fired up, Sherry. Sure. I'm ready yeah. to run through so, a wall. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fired up. I, I hear your call to action. Thanks all so much for being here, for joining us, for contributing to this wonderful book, for sharing your stories, your insights into bringing sort of the essence of being to the conversation today. I appreciate it so much. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, Stylus and Vector Solutions. Stylus is proud to be the sponsor of the Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. Use promo code SANOW for 30% all of their books, plus free shipping, including this one. You can also find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at styluspub. And Vector Solutions, how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for more than 2,000 colleges, universities, and national organizations. With nine efficacy studies behind their courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com slash studentaffairsnow. A huge shout out as always to our producer, Natalie Ambrosi, who does all of the behind the scene work to make all of us look and sound good. And if you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guest and to everyone who is watching and listening. Please make it a great week. Thank you all so much.